Hi there, welcome to the Raising Cinephiles podcast, a show about passing on your love of cinema to the next generation. I'm your host, Jessica Cantor, and I have worked in all facets of the entertainment industry for the last 20 years, and recently became a mom. This week's guest is Annie Weissman. She's the creator and showrunner of Physical on Apple TV. We discuss how Alice in Wonderland inspired some of the mythology behind Physical and how she discovered her children's taste in cinema through trial and error. And most delightful is learning that one of her children love Monty Python. Always remember that myself and guests are speaking from personal experience, not giving parenting advice. Let's go ahead and dive into the episode. Hello and welcome back to the Raising Cinephiles podcast. This is your host, Jessica Cantor, and today I am joined by Annie Weissman, the creator, writer, and now director of Physical on Apple TV. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I'm going to jump into our first question, which is, what is your first movie memory? I wonder how many people have memories that are associated with fear, because... It's heavily imprinted in my memory seeing The Wizard of Oz for the first time and being really captivated by it and terrified of the witch and just sort of this idea of her, that actress, you know, Margaret Hamilton on the bicycle turning, the bicycle turning into the broom and just like, <laughs> the, I don't know how old I was, very, very young, but just like being terrified and fascinated by that. And then all of the Wizard of Oz, you know, the story and the transformation into color and the songs and just the whole mythology of it was just like a very formative experience for me as a kid <laughs> and imprinted by fear, you know. Yeah. The Wizard of Oz has come up a few times. Fear has also come up a few times. I think one friend saw uh, Star Wars and got scared that the yeah. stormtroopers were going to jump out of the screen at him. And so that was his first memory. I had another guest who was introducing the Wizard of Oz to their child and started with this beautifully illustrated mm. comic book, which is, I think, what it's based off of, maybe, or came later. I'm not 100% sure, but it allowed the young child to get used to the world. So it wasn't as scary when they watched the movie. Right. I do wonder if it would have the same power now with young children, just given how much, how many more images they have access to from a really young age. Mm -hmm. But it was really formative. I think just early on that moment of fear, like the p power of what that image could do, just and the, yeah. it's sitting with me for a really long time. Yeah, I I took a lab with this woman named Joan Sheckle. I don't know if you've heard oh of her. yeah, of course, yeah, and, she's legendary, and she does a whole thing around the Wizard of Oz and the story and how perfect that story is uh, as as a film. Yeah, I think it is the it is like the the essential film story in a way. Mm -hmm. Like you could like overlay Wizard of Oz onto so many other movies and kinds of stories and it and mm -hmm. it kind of it it is kind of foundational in that way just this whole idea of that it's a version I guess of the hero's journey but it yeah. is good like a f female one and it's a, one that I think a lot of women and obviously a lot of queer people also connect to because it's this experience of like you start in this like wholesome American wholesome America and then you just plunge into this other world of like chaos and fantasy and and 
mythology and then like, and then eventually return back, you know, changed and strengthened by the, by that experience. I think people it's, it has like a deep hold on a lot of people who felt like it, from a very young age, like, Oh, I'm different. I don't know that I fit into the conventional lifestyle. Yeah. Like I think I'm going to lead a different kind of life, but I'm not really sure what that looks like yet. And usually people yeah. know that, you know, you know that in some way from a young age. And so if you say it at like, it's like a talisman for a lot of people that you connect to. It's like, oh, the Wizard of Oz, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Very important movie to me, you know, because I too felt like, oh, you start out in Kansas and then you go into some, you know, yeah. crazy world of make-believe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had randomly, I, I've never had this happen to me before, but I fainted recently. Basil Vagel response to Okay, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's a, happened to me a lot too. It happened from a first kiss. So like, wow. I was shocking. I, I mean, I still don't believe it was that, but maybe it was. Incredible. And I woke up, you know, and I'm, I must have been out for three seconds, like really short. And I yeah. was like, totally coming out of a dream state. And I yes. was like, this is like the Wizard of Oz. And you were there and you were there. You were there. <laughs> so it, it is immediately oh, yes. back. Fainting is um, is a lot. I mean, you can see um, how it's interesting. You see that because I would describe when I have fainted as like there's an experience of like curtains closing. You know mm-hmm. that as you lose oxygen, and that is a very similar. It's a very theatrical mm-hmm. kind of experience. Like you're going into another realm. So the frame kind of like ooh, it closes, and then you're in another realm, and you come back, and then the the total like terrifying disorienting quality of like, I was out, who was that? Yeah. What yeah. happened? What happened? And then you kind of, you have to sort of realign yourself when you're, yeah. when you're back. Like, yeah. We, we try to, yeah. I mean, you do that with, with visual storytelling. It's mm-hmm. like the same thing with people. It's just sort of like take them out of their, you know, make it dark, take them out of their frame of reference and then just like create, and then woof, create a world, yeah. like create a imaginary world. Bring yeah. It to, yeah. Yeah. Um, there are yeah. a few transitions like that in physical, actually. That's true. Well, in the pilot, we she actually, her first experience of discovering exercise, she faints and then mm-hmm. wakes up in another environment. So it's <laughs> what exactly. you're talking about is exactly what happens because she's never had that kind of like really intense exercise experience before, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. and so she wakes up and she doesn't know where she is. That I actually, I mean, it's fine. I say Wizard of Oz is really crucial, but I loved Alice in Wonderland mm-hmm. as a child, as literature. And so Alice in Wonderland is the mythology that I use a lot early on in physical, you know, when she sees her first connection to the idea of, of like physical exercise is through this, I call the character bunny, but I got, it's like the white rabbit, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and she actually, my little joke is that she drives a little white cabriolet. So she's like driving by in the white. So Mm -hmm. it's about her. It is kind of, I'm using the Alice in Wonderland imagery, which is another story of a girl from a conventional life having an experience of just falling into a, an upside down world and then yeah. being terrified, but also being changed and moved and having all of her assumptions challenged and learning new, new experiences, new skills, new everything. So it is, um, yeah, the, that imagery is important. And we do use a lot of um, that energy of, you know, and this is something I worked with 
uh, Craig Gillespie in the pilot on, and then it was like kind of a visual vocabulary that he established, but we continued through the show and kind of evolved through the show. It was um, this like camera that really moves with her so mm-hmm. that like you say, when, when something happens, it's really, um, she, she has a sort of intense experience that really imprints on her. Then we quickly cut to another scene where the camera's just moving with that energy and mm-hmm. we are with her. And so you can kind of like feel this sense of propulsion through through mm-hmm. the episodes because we're always following her experience. You know, we're yeah. always like the camera is like sync with her emotional life. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go back into your past a little bit with Alice in Wonderland. Was it the book or the movie first for you? It was the book. I don't have a lot of memories of the animated movie of Alice in Wonderland, but I loved the literature. I I loved the really playful language. That was what I loved, that it was just like totally anarchic with words and jokes Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, adults behaving appallingly and breaking rules. And I liked that. I loved uh, the words. How old were you when you got into that book? Um, gosh, I have a very old copy of it that used to be read to me when I, before I could read and then I would read myself. So very, you know, kindergarten, like early, early days, early days. Um, Yeah. just, just playfulness with words was something like really big for me. Shell Alice in Wonderland, Shell Silverstein, I loved and used to commit to memory and just like Mm -hmm. say those things over and over in my head because I loved the way they sounded and, um, I like I, the idea of having those access to those words and being able to use them. Yeah, I had the the where the sidewalk ends. Mm-hmm. Books, I loved those, and I loved those. I very much love those, and I, I know I, I I spoke with someone else recently about Roald Dahl, also mm-hmm. somewhat playful though. I just was informed he was a Nazi, so I am now having mixed feelings about him. I know, him. I do. We have to. Um, it's tough. What to accommodate that because I also love those books and my kids now, like just this morning, my daughter was listening to the twits on mm-hmm. an audiobook and loving it. And the spirit of those books is really so rebellious and, and it takes on it's anti-authoritarian, which I love, which is why it's so like appalling and, and horrible to think about what his politics were because he he really taught kids not to trust authority. <laughs> I mean, that was what I got from those books. It was like, yeah. guess what? Adults don't know what they're talking about. Teachers are corrupt. Parents are fools. Yeah, kids need to rely on their own skills and resources. I mean, that's the the spirit of those books. It's yeah, inherently yeah. kind of punk rock. So. <laughs> It's it's a little tough. Yeah. And so I, I also want to, before we transition to your kids, want to stick with what movie going was like for you growing up. Yeah. Well, I was lucky enough when I was a little kid, I grew up in a in small town in San Diego, but I had family in LA. So we used to come up, it'd be a big event and go see the big movie that was out in LA at the Cinerama mm-hmm. Dome. So I have all these memories of going to see Back to the Future, the Star Wars movies, the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark movies at the Cinerama Dome. So big event mm-hmm. going and being in this like temple of yeah. movies and just like the thrill of it and feeling like you're really small and this movie's really big and thrilling. And that's like a big, big 
part of my childhood was getting to do that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm so I'm I'm ho- so hoping it reopens. Me too. I it really, is, really hope so. That was like the the like stake in my heart towards the end of it the really pandemic was. when I was like, oh Yeah. And then getting, I mean, that's when I was a kid and was being taken to things. But Mm -hmm. like then the memories of when I first started to like seek out my own movies Mm -hmm. were really like really pivotal to me as an early teenager kind of coming into my own as a writer was were the John Hughes movies. So I would Mm -hmm. just watch Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink and just over and over and over again, watch those movies and commit the the words to memory and just love the idea of these and Heather's and these really like provocative teen voices that it was yeah. like really exciting to hear. Oh my God, this is a movie for me. Like these are our yeah. people. Like this is like, this is cool. You know, this is, and also people talk like kids talking to each other can be a whole movie, you know, mm-hmm. that was really yeah. exciting. And it's interesting. I ask a lot and I'm glad you made that transition of how you discovered your taste yeah. discovering the rom-coms. And I think about this a lot from for my son, which is he has a good 15 years. Was he going to get to experience those teen movies in, in the theater the way we did? Yeah. And what will it, what will the, it, will he be as romantic about the theater going experiences? Like as I was, I mean, my kids are, are 15 and 12 and they don't, revere the experience of the theater as much as I did because mm-hmm. they have like a pretty good size screen in their house that they can watch things on. I mean, compared to what I had as a kid, but um, they still do once in a while an event movie will get them excited. Most recently Barbie, mm-hmm. but I have now had the experience of both good and bad of things that I loved as a kid, showing them with a lot of excitement and then just flopping. They, it just did not connect with them. And then I've had the wonderful experience of showing them something I loved and they love it too. And it's been kind of interesting to see what age, you know, what ages well and what, and what doesn't, you know? What, um, yeah. What, so what have been some of the things both that haven't aged yeah. well for your, your kids? And Well, yeah. one thing that was really interesting and disappointing was Grease, which mm. was a big deal movie in my childhood and so formative and loved it and, and they just didn't like Greece. I mean, they thought they couldn't get over the, and they're right, the bullying, the cruelty of kids to one another that we just took for granted, the um, bad behavior. I mean, they were appalled by the smoking. <laughs> they were, they just weren't on board. It was yeah. not for them. And that was like, okay, that's interesting. And they have different standards and good for them for it. We were willing to t- accept, you know, and the ending, which is really about the girl being willing to change her essential nature to get the guy was like not okay with them. They were yeah. thumbs down on that ending. And I had a really good experience showing them the movie Rushmore, which is a movie <laughs> I loved as a young adult. And I thought was brilliant and hilarious and, and, they loved Rushmore. I mean, they were just like laughing and thrilled with it and taken by the artistry of it and the beauty mm-hmm. of it. And so that was really fun. Yeah. That was Rushmore really fun. is so wonderfully quirky. Wonderfully quirky. And the, all of the humor of it and all of the like interesting relationship between you know, this adult and kid who are sort of equals. They they love that. And they they love 
I forgot how funny it was, frankly, because I remember thinking, I mean, they just like were laughing at, there was a lot of really funny physical comedy in it. And that was fun. And same thing with A League of Their Own, a movie I loved and mm-hmm. thought was really cool and inspiring. And they, we watched that and they loved it. And that totally held up and was still like a great yeah. sort of girl power yeah. story. I, I was nervous you were going to say they didn't like it. I was like, no. Yeah, they loved it. I know. <laughs> it was great. Groundhog Day did not hold up a movie I loved. Mm-hmm. It's just the female character is like such yeah. a nothing. And I don't think that I applied those standards to it at the time. I just thought, oh, this is a very funny movie. And then they're like, why does he like her? And I was like, that's a great question. Yeah. She doesn't really have a personality of yeah. any kind, you know? Like so juxtaposed with Barbie and how they oh, yeah. played with Ken in that way. Yes. And I love watching my non-industry male friends be like, I can't get into this. And I'm like threatened by it. Yeah. Like, like this is like, there's no character for you there. I know. We only had that for Me a century. <laughs> Forever. We just tolerated. Well, yeah, I mean, it's fine. You know, he's just, she's just Andy McDowell just, you know, puts her hands on her hips and shakes her head and that's her part, you know? And like, we still love the movie and you're like, well, maybe that's not enough. And meanwhile, Barbie, which has so, and I mean, Barbie is, I was blown away by Barbie. Just like, wow. She is, this is a game-changing movie. So inventive, so brilliant, so funny and provocative for sure. Every scene had an idea behind it. And and it's just so interesting having conversations and how many people both like loved it, but then also didn't want to have to think so hard. It's true. (laughs) And yeah. Just so thrilled. It's challenging. Yeah. It's a challenging movie, but so successful and at the same time so challenging. I just think, yeah, I was really inspired by it. And it, yeah. I totally agree that some people are like, oh, I didn't want to work this hard at the Barbie movie. And you're like, yeah, oh, exactly. guess what? Like it has ideas. It has real, a lot of ideas. It's packed with thoughts. and It's yeah. also packed with cinematic references, really smart references to all the great movies past. And, mm-hmm. and it kind of gobbles them and compost them into this leather idea in yeah. a brilliant way. I also loved the fight scene without guns. Which so good. We don't see enough. I know. <laughs> it was so good. Because it was yeah. it just it does I understand why some men are threatened by it because it is it does hold a mirror up to some of the more preposterous qualities of male aggression and and fragility. <laughs> So yeah, it also made me feel really empathetic towards the standards men have have, you know, mm-hmm. not just the female standards, but like the man up idea, you know, and and this That's idea true. of masculinity that is just so untenable and also it doesn't really I felt the same way. I thought it was very sympathetic to the bind that men are in. Yeah. I thought it was very empathetic to that and so it's surprising to me that people didn't I mean, it didn't let him off the hook, but it also empathized with their mind of like, on the one hand, you want us to be strong. And on the other hand, we can't, we, we can't dominate. And what do we do? Yeah. It, it was interesting. I thought. Yeah. Smart, you know? And that performance, I mean, he kind of steals the movie, Ryan. Yeah. Gosling I mean, steals it, the movie. I mean, it, he's so good. He was so perfect for it. So good. And you could just see that he just had fun. 
Totally. <laughs> just had so and he much was fun. so game, you know, for all of it and so wonderful. I mean, I feel like being when you ask a man like I to pivot to my show of like casting the husband on our show was one of the more challenging things that jobs that we had because it was this thing of like I'm being really honest about this really limited guy, you know, and and but you have to love him to spend time with him, you know? And so yeah. they have to bring with them a kind of inherent like ability and then still do all of these like pretty appalling things, you know? And so it was a really tough needle to thread. And when we found Rory, it was just like that charm that he has. He just sort of gets away with things. And that's, I think, how it works most of the time. Because yeah. I don't feel like I, – I personally don't – I'm not interested in like attacking – men or individual men, but it's really about understanding the circumstances that create the behavior. You know, it's like they're yeah. a person in this, it's the circumstances that you're talking about, not the, not the individual people. So yeah. it's not interesting yeah, to do it, a personal attack, you know? I watched your, your uh, episode last night, yeah. your, your, um, the episode you directed and been thinking a lot about his journey actually through this season and the question of, does he know his wife? Like, can he know his wife and will she allow him to know her? And Mm -hmm. I kept thinking back to the fact that he's the one who got her into therapy. Like he, he, he put it together somehow that she Mm -hmm. had something happening inside her that wasn't healthy. Right. I just think it's so interesting also how I, I could see her resenting him for that because she's mm-hmm. making he's making her face her problems in a way yeah, that she didn't necessarily that there was a backlash for that she necessarily yeah. want to. You know, I had a really interesting conversation with, with Stephanie this week around this year. She also has Greece in her early movie days. So there's oh, that. Wow. <laughs> Stephanie's my work wife and yeah. she's the best. She's an amazing, amazing filmmaker. She is. We had a, a, a wonderful conversation. And I shared that I am a recovering disordered eater and I had a lot of trouble watching or get like diving into the series when it first aired because I okay, yeah. don't want to hear that voice. <laughs> like that's yeah. something that, you know, isn't interesting to me having had to face it myself. Yeah. Um, but as I've gone through the seasons and watched Rose's journey, this season specifically really spoke to me and reminded me of the space I got as I recovered. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I know that's hard to do. And I, I felt that way too. Is I, it's funny because I had I had someone recently ask me, well, why did you get rid of her inner voice in this season? And that was such a part of the show. And I thought, well, I wanted to be honest to the recovery process for mm-hmm. her. And I wanted to show the journey for it. And I wanted to. Um, but what you just said is how I feel too, is just like what recovery looks like is just more space in your life for other mm-hmm. things, you know, for, for other thoughts, for other people, for connection, for love, for work, for anything else. And, mm-hmm. and so we wanted to represent that and, and in a realistic way, you know, and show the cost of it too. But I think in the case of 
her husband, we as an audience have access to her thoughts. We know Mm -hmm. what she's thinking. He did not. And so part of what I wanted to honor in this episode was just the reality of like, it's easiest for us to judge him as being insensitive to her. He did not know like how good those of us who have uh, disorders and addictions can sometimes be at hiding Mm -hmm. what's going on from those, even the closest people to us. Yeah. And it's hard to understand sometimes where people are like, how did you not know? But because we don't share it. And so reminding, sort of reminding us as an audience to like give him that little, little bit of grace of knowing like he didn't, he didn't hear what we hear, we heard, you know, yeah. and she was really good at, and that, and Rose Byrne as an actress is really good at representing that divide, you know, about how wild off you can be, you know? Yeah. And a few different things that really struck me, which was, she doesn't really know herself because she's not giving her the space mm-hmm. to know herself. So how could he know her? You know, she, yeah. like that line of, you know me just as much as anybody else does. Yeah. Like to me really, really resonated because it's as much as she does in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. Um, and then yeah. I really like, her voice didn't really go away. It just manifested for a lot of the season as her adversary. And she took it outside of herself and it, I thought that was also a really honest way of like, it doesn't just go away. Like it takes a while to change yeah. how you think. So like that's right. pushing it, it somewhere it, else. It shape shifts and, and kind of reemerges in other areas. It's like a lifelong battle, you know, yeah. to kind of keep it at bay. Yeah. And just how sad it is when you start having empathy for yourself of how mean you are. How mean you mm-hmm. are to yourself. Yeah, you have to grieve all the time you lost being mm-hmm. in trouble, in cruel. Yeah. yeah, it's true. There's a grief that comes up for sure. Yeah. Even knowing you're better, it's like, oh, but all those years of not being yeah. kind to myself, not being not being okay. And There's also, definitely a grief. Yeah, I also think that this, I mean, at least for me, like the disorder is a crutch to not feel your feelings. Mm-hmm. And so as you allow yourself to feel your feelings, it's overwhelming. That's right. Yeah. And that's sort of the good and bad news. It's like, okay, now I'm present and now I get to feel my feelings. Oh, this is why I was self-medicating. Like, <laughs> exactly. It's hard. But then you have, the more you do it, the more you understand that like it passes, you know, mm-hmm. it's like uncomfortable and then it, and then it, and then it gets better and yeah. you can, you can handle it. You are capable yeah. of of feeling the feelings. It's just, it's just uncomfortable, you know, and it's, there's a reason we try to avoid and. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of purging is about getting rid of that discomfort. Something else I was talking with Stephanie about was how much I loved the meditation scene around the orange. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things when people ask me how I healed, I said, I learned how to taste. Yes. And learning that food and, you know, and teaching kids how to eat and not wanting to pass on my own stuff was just reminding myself, you know, it's about nourishment and filling yourself Mm -hmm. up with goodness and flavor and listening to your body. And so I really loved it to that, which was really hard when you weren't. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's really, really good to hear. And and I re- and resonates with me too. Yeah, I'm curious. You know, giving her a daughter, and going back to kind of kids, and the cyclicalness of it, and how 
a lot of how they discovered her own, dis- like how her husband discovered her disorder was through her daughters talking about food. Right. And even in right. the, in this that last episode about who was making her mm-hmm. a snack. <laughs> yeah. And if you had right. yummy food in the house and, you know, all of that. Yeah. So I'm curious if you could speak to that a little bit. I did. Yeah. I, I mean, it was just obviously like a really important part of her kind of discovering her own limitations and like rock bottom were around realizing when, you know, as her daughter got older and she's starting to see that this is having, she's observing, she's, it's affecting her and just wanted to look at in an honest way that the kind of um, the way eating disorders are passed down generation to generation. I mean, the way her, her mother passed to her and then it trying to look at in a real way how you can, because it is possible to kind of break the cycle, but it takes effort and looking at it and being honest about it and confronting it. So yeah, having a daughter and, you know, feeling like, I think I also wanted to be honest about the fact that I think a lot of people, there's still a perception that like having a baby kind of fixes you and changes your relationship to your body forever. And that's for so many women, myself included, maybe it's temporarily true. And then it just, you can go right back where you were. I mean, it is not a fix, an automatic fix. You can, you, you can be inspired to change by wanting a better world for your kid, but no woman's relationship to her body is fixed by pregnancy and childbirth. In fact, so many women suffer in their well into their midlife, you know, especially like how much we're denied healthcare around the changes for our body or yeah. just ignored around like, oh, it's okay to pee a little when you sneeze. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Is that okay? You know, There's and nothing so- to be done about the transition into midlife. Yeah. And there actually is quite a lot that can be done and thought about, but it, but it has to be valued and prioritized first. And we don't see a yeah. lot of that happening. Yeah. I'm also super inspired and interested about a woman in that era starting her own business, creating a mm-hmm. career. I look at my mom's journey having started, she started to work when I was a teenager and had an mm. incredible career. And my grandmother worked, but she had to ask my grandfather permission to work outside the home. Right. And I have a great clip of her saying, he said, oh, you'll hate it and you'll be back in the kitchen soon enough. And she was like, and I've been working for 50 years. You know, so Good like, for her. That's um, incredible. Pioneer. So. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think there's natural duality between disorder and trying to break the mold because mm-hmm. you don't fit. So not feeling like you fit in your body, you don't fit in the world, you're trying mm-hmm. to make a change. And so I'm curious yeah. if you could speak to that a little bit. It's true. I think there's a restlessness in her of feeling like none of the roles that are the the feel comfortable to her. Just being a wife and a mother doesn't feel like enough. And there is no um, model out there for her of something different. And so she has to make it and discover Mm -hmm. it. And this was true. And this was happening in this time in um, certainly, you know, my childhood, as I was looking around in the sort of late 70s, early 80s, women were, you know, divorce was starting to really skyrocket because it was, there was an opportunity for women to stand on their own. I think a lot of women stayed in abusive or difficult marriages because there was no alternative, but you'd see women starting to um, 
find avenues for like economic independence that allowed them to have like a way out yeah. if they were unhappy or unsafe. And so you start to see that we're outside of the, what were traditional jobs for women, which were, was frankly nursing and teaching, which are wonderful professions, but there are other things that women can do as well. And so starting these industries, women were inventing them. They were just pioneering things like the fitness industry, the the diet industry was a big one and it's problematic, but also a way that a lot of women made independent money. And yeah, so seeing her become an entrepreneur and, mm-hmm. and in a time when, yeah, you needed permission. I mean, you needed your husband to co-sign on a loan for a mm-hmm. business and still. And so it was, this was a way that women could have some independence. Yeah. I also like the female friendships are really interesting in in physical of how they mm-hmm. believe in each other and and that journey of of these two women not wanting to be friends, being friends, being yeah. business partners, not being business partners, and then realizing like actually they have a shared vision. Yeah, I think my feeling in general is that we can women are really amazing and can do amazing things, but we can't really do them alone. We gotta mm-hmm. have community. We've got to have friendship. We've got to have support and we get it. You know, it's like we do it with each other. Mm-hmm. And, and I think she comes, Sheila comes to understand that because she's someone for whom friendship has always been really challenging because she, she's, she's always keeping people away because of, out of shame mm-hmm. about her inner life. So once the shame leaves the picture and leaves the party, she, there's space for, for friendship and, and friendship becomes really foundational for her. Yeah. And I and I love I'm so terrible with names, but Greta, right? Is Yeah, Deirdre Friel, who's yes. a phenomenal actress like, and someone that we just kept writing towards. You know, her part just grew and grew because she's so wonderful. Um and uh that was just a fun evolution. Yeah, and well I also love the sexual revolution that she's having with her husband. Yeah. Um and how you know, we, we don't see that discussed as much in marriage. Um, you know, as it should yeah. be of like, how do you keep the flames alive and what makes your private life interesting? And it specifically really loved when they tried to cross that line with their friends and their, you know. Yeah. They have the kind of attempt to have a, um, kind of, yeah, partner swapping moment, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't play out, but their friendship survives it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're able to work through it. Yeah, I really love that. So I'm I'm gonna ask you a couple questions about your kids and sure. then jump into my last question. So I just I'm curious if you remember the first movies you sh- you showed them. Yes. Well, I definitely remember going to see Frozen in the theater with my kids, and that was a pretty exciting experience when the song when the big song happened, uh big emotional release. I still think Frozen, I just I do love that movie for for girls in particular um because i think it is about it was revolutionary for disney to not predicate everything on a romance it's really about just this like power inside you that's powerful but in you've been denying and then when you finally release it you can become your real self mm-hmm. i love that that idea for girls so i love yeah. seeing that realized and i remember the moment in the th- big theater of seeing the 
icicles come off her fingers and the song coming out. That was really big moment for us as a family watching that movie and all experiencing it together for the first time. That was really exciting, really fun. We then subsequently, they watch it a million times and you want to like die because you're so sick of it. But the first time was very magical. Yeah. There's a, a lot of jokes about be careful what you show your kids because they want to watch it over and over Over and over and over over again. (laughs) Yeah, no, it became like a unit of measurement in our household to be like, okay, we're driving up to see Aunt Lisa. It's two and a half frozens away. It was like (laughs) how many, whatever things were like, oh, that flight, that's a frozen and a half. Like it just was like all they watched. And so just sticking on repeat. Yeah. But that was, I think it's cool. Like I, I think about the the, the narratives, like what is the narrative there? And and I love that because I think the Disney movies in my child were always like, and then the prince kisses you and that's happiness. Mm-hmm. That was Beauty and the Beast. That was Little Mermaid. But this is something else. And so I think about like, what's the narrative? Like what's the, mm-hmm. um, what's the, what's getting imprinted and, and that I, I'm, I'm down with Frozen for kids for that reason, because it's so internal, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and like it's not that. about putting it in someone else's hands in romance, yeah. you know. And do you have a, a good sense of your kids' taste? And is it really unique for each of them? Yeah, my little one, she is nuts for Monty Python. So we've had a really fun time watching Monty Python movies. She loves comedy. The more, the bodier and more outrageous, the better. So we've just really connect on, we've had a really fun time going through all the Monty Python silliness. How did um, you decide to show her that? You know, I kind of like took a little bit of a swing with it. I thought like, I'm going to check it out. You know, I had a feeling she'd be into it because she loves jokes and Mm -hmm. she's silly. And, um, and she just instantly was like, oh, my, you know, and then last Halloween she dressed as one of the Knights of Knee with the little, like, (laughs) With coconut, she's like, you got to get me two coconuts for my costume. And she went around pretending to be the horse, you know? And so that was really fun. We've had a good time with that. And then my older kid is a little more into fantasy and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's like Dungeons and Dragons movie and anything really big and fantastical and mythic. So they have really different sensibilities in that way. I've got the genre fantasy and then the like zany comedy yeah. kid. It's a lot of trial and error is how yeah. we figured it out. A lot of things that they were like not into to find what they loved. Yeah. How, what was that experience like? Of like, just, of just trying when you stuff. fail, like, yeah. yeah, you just try stuff. And I remember dark crystal, we watched that movie and I remember loving dark crystal, but it was just the pacing for them was just glacial and they couldn't get into it. And the, they thought the puppets were kind of silly. And I, I just remember thinking, Oh, that's too bad because it's so, they're so artful and beautiful, but they just didn't connect. So you just end up alone in there in the TV room, <laughs> finishing it up while they go wrong. But uh, keep trying. I yeah. keep putting things in front of them. And then then you have some really win where you think, wow, you know that they'd love, like at their own, that they'd love Rushmore, that they'd love the Monty Python movies. That yeah, we really just kind of a lot of trial and error with them. Yeah. I am, 
I, I do put on some of the random recommendations I hear and, you know, my son's not two yet, so he can't, he doesn't quite have the attention span for a full movie yeah. just yet. And, um, I, the other day I put on, um, Pete's dragon. Oh yeah. And I was shocked how much of it he watched. He just really, really likes like singing and dancing get him yeah like the, interesting you know and so I was yeah I was surprised that he stayed around for that that much that's great yeah I remember because I love Mary Poppins so much and playing it for them but it's very long mm-hmm. and so just playing numbers from it and one thing I remember showing them when they were about your kids age that they loved absolutely loved and we would play over and again were sequences from singing in the rain oh um mm-hmm. The dance sequence, obviously in the beginning, the make make them laugh number mm-hmm. is so wonderful. I mean, that movie has some sequences in it that are so wonderful. And what's so great about it too is that because I was concerned from a young age about them watching anything that has just like millions of edits. Like you think of those, like the Spider-Man movies now, which are so wonderful and mm-hmm. inventive, but they're just so heavily, heavily edited. And I just think for their young brains, it's like, it's... It's not great. Mm -mm. I think take some time on that. But these, so the older kind of style of storytelling, like big wider shots that kind of last longer and you can see the performance, like they loved watching the sequence. They still talk about like the, I used to prop it up in the morning and just watch, you know, that opening sequence Mm -hmm. of singing in the rain or make them laugh for them. And they would just like, it's so wonderful. It's still yeah. totally enchanting from a yeah. really young age. I'm a big proponent of slow content for the little ones. Yeah. My son loves trucks, so like I haven't been able to avoid Blippy, which I try. I try. It's like a yeah. YouTube personality that like just plays with truck. Like big, he'll like drive an excavator or whatever. And so. yeah, I remember some of those videos. They always struck me as sort of like weirdly like porn because they use like. Um, public domain music on yeah. them and it sound, kind of sounds like old an old video vhs porn so yeah. like brum, 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 and, yeah. and then a truck and i'm like this is baby porn yeah <laughs> but you know what that's what it is they like it they like yeah. to look at a truck it's exciting I, so. i've had like sequence an hour-long sequence of different garbage trucks like has Great. been a big hit so yeah and then he'll like the dance sequence from pete's dragon so i feel like mm-hmm. i have some wins <laughs> totally yeah you'll get there yeah you'll totally get there so i'm gonna go ahead and ask my last question which is what film do you recommend i show my son and he could be older he doesn't have to be right now um that ha- helps him fall in love with cinema as a medium well i think i want to repeat what i just said about singing in the rain okay because it really is such a special movie about the movies mm-hmm. and about like magic and performance. And it just, I think it, it's nice to sort of knit it into your soul mm-hmm. early on to kind of fall in love with what, what movies can do. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. Thank you so much. Really thoughtful, really wonderful conversation. Great thank to meet you. you. If you enjoyed the conversation, please don't forget to like and subscribe. New episodes release every Wednesday. And leave a comment and let me know which movie you think I should show my son. Until next time, take care.